tribulations that all of us have to face on a day-to-day basis, I want you to feel good about the decision that you made to become a Christian. I want you to feel good about the path that you have chosen to be on in this world. I want you to have the confidence that God desires for you to have and the confidence that Jesus Christ died for you to have. I want you to feel good about who you are as a Christian. Now, if you are not a Christian this morning, if you are not a person that has been baptized for the remission of your sins, if you have not been added to the church that you read about in the pages of your New Testament, then we want to encourage you today to change that. We want you to encourage you today to become a member of the church that Jesus Christ died for through repenting of your sins and being baptized for the remission of those sins so that you can leave this building today and go out into that sin-filled world with all the confidence that you can have that God is with you, that God wants you to win the battles that you have to face in this world. So building confidence is what we're going to talk about this morning. Confidence is something that we need to have. Our modern world has a warped understanding of the biblical perspective or the biblical understanding of the word perfect. Now, you're perfect. You might not want to accept that, but hopefully in the next 10 or 15 minutes, you're going to understand that you are perfect. God wants you to understand that. A child of God recognizes they will not live a life completely free from sin. We know that. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, For we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. This is something that we understand. It's something that we have accepted in our physical lives, although we strive on a daily basis to be better and better each day that passes always striving to be better tomorrow than we were yesterday, eliminating some of the problems that hold us back, eliminating some of the things that we might get caught up in, eliminating some of the temptations that we might have to deal with. But we realize that we're not going to be able to live our lives without sin. We are going to stumble. We're going to, we're going to, uh, we're going to step aside. We're going to do things that we don't do from time to time but we're always going to strive to be better. We're going to, uh, we need to understand that we are commanded to be perfect people. Something that most people don't grasp. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 48, Jesus is beginning to get to about halfway through His section of Scriptures that we commonly refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. And they're talking to that multitude of people on the side of the mountain, he told those people, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which in heaven is perfect. He's telling those Jews that had gathered themselves together to listen to what he had to say. He says, I want you to be perfect. Strive to be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is a command that Jesus sent forth. It's a directive that he gives all people that are willing to follow Him. Therefore, we can be perfect. Jesus would never command us to be perfect if we couldn't be perfect. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 11, Finally, brethren, farewell. 
He's drawing the, the letter of 2 Corinthians to a close. He's not going to write any more to these people through inspiration. And he, as he draws this letter to a close, he says, Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Now, we know what kind of problems they had in the church of Christ at Corinth. It's pretty easy to read in your New Testaments that they dealt with a lot of things in that city. But Paul expects the people that are striving to live the kind of life that God wants them to live to be perfect. He goes on to say, be perfect, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. But he is telling the people in Corinth, this is all I'm going to write to you. Farewell and be perfect. So we know we can. He also wrote to the Church of Christ in Colossae in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that ye may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Now there is how we get to be perfect. That's what we are striving to do is be perfect before God through Jesus Christ, what He has done for us. And that is the key for us in understanding this. But God wants us to understand that we are commanded to be perfect. And through what Jesus has done for us, we can be classified as perfect in His mind. When He was writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 17, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works, He's saying that the Word of God, the Scriptures, are what it's going to take, uh, fill our minds with the idea of what God wants us to do. And when we follow those things, when we practice what the New Testament says, we can be perfect in the eyes of God. We are commanded to be perfect. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 21, "...make you perfect in every good work to do His will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in His sight." Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He begins this final verse by saying, Make you perfect in every good work, and ends it by saying, Amen, or so be it. We have this ability. It's been given to us. James said in James chapter 1 and verse 4, But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing, there are just too many scriptures in the New Testament to tell us to be perfect for us to ignore the fact that God expects us, wants us, to be perfect people. Now, you're not sinless, but brethren, don't let anybody tell you you're not perfect. The scriptures say you are, and nobody should be able to convince you that you're not. Too many scriptures that reference perfect in your Bibles. Jesus Christ died to make you perfect. Following the Bible keeps you perfect. And Christians are classified as perfect in God's eyes because of what Jesus Christ has done for it. Just knowing that, just knowing what God sees in you, should give you all the confidence that you need to go out here and face this sin-filled, problem-filled world with a boost of confidence in your life if you are striving to live the way Christ wants you to live according to the New Testament. That should cause you to be able to handle anything that this world brings. 
any problems that might have to, to be dealt with on the morrow or on the next day, the confidence that you have in the way God looks at you should be something that will boost you to deal with those problems in a very profitable way. You're not sinless, but you don't need to be sinless to have that kind of confidence. You're going to slip, you're going to fall, you're going to falter, but as long as you repent, as long as you get your life right, God's going to say, there is my perfect child because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. There is my perfect child. Oh, how that should boost our confidence in a sin-filled world. Our strength, our power, our confidence comes to us through Jesus Christ. Believe in Him. And brethren, believe in yourselves. Believe in yourselves. Peter said in Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 10, Wherefore, the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for ye do these things, ye shall never fall. I want you to notice how this verse begins. Brethren, give diligence. We're going to translate that a little bit differently. Brethren, set forth the effort to be as good as you can possibly be day by day. And if you will set forth the effort... If you will always strive to be as good as you could possibly be, you are going to be classified as just fine in the eyes of God. But don't think that you can go through this life without setting forth the effort to be as good as you could possibly be and still be approved in the eyes of God. You have to set forth the effort. You have to strive to be as good as you can be. You have to be as diligent as you can be, in order to get this approval by God. But if you will, brethren, He will. Set forth the diligence to be as good as you could possibly be. I want you to look into the mirror in the mornings and see a lion. The lion of God. You might think of yourself as a bit of a kitty cat. But God wants you to see a lion in that mirror. He wants you to see something that is fierce and ferocious and something that needs to be dealt with as far as sin goes, as far as this world goes. He wants you to be as powerful as you need to be in order to overcome the problems that you're surely going to have to face this afternoon or tomorrow or the next day. He wants you, brethren, to look in the mirror and see the lion that's going to be as fierce as you need to be in order to get through that day being diligent for God. See the lion. See the lion. When we hear people something like say like, well, nobody's perfect. And you've heard people say that. In fact, you may have said that yourself. Well, nobody's perfect. What they're normally doing is making an excuse. They're normally making an excuse for themselves or a family member or a friend to excuse the sin in their lives or someone else's life. Well, nobody's perfect. I wonder, 
I wonder where that phrase comes from when we've just looked at so many passages of Scripture that not only tell us that we are perfect, we need to be perfect, we need to think about ourselves as perfect, that Jesus Christ died to make us perfect. I wonder where this kind of reasoning ever came from, why we would even utter such a thing as nobody's perfect when all we're trying to do is excuse sin in our lives. God doesn't want us to excuse sin. He wants us to repent of our sins. He wants us to put those sins behind us, move on from those sins, not allow those sins or find excuse for those sins in our lives. Not only have you been commanded to be perfect, but Jesus Christ died so that you can be that perfect person. And that should give you the confidence to go out in the world and approach it as you being perfect in the eyes of God. It does not mean you won't slip. It does not mean you won't fall from time to time. It does mean that you're going to have to repent when you find yourself in sin, put those things behind you. But it does also mean that you are classified as a very special individual. A very special individual in the eyes of God because you decided to be obedient to the teachings of the New Testament and to be baptized for the remission of sins. It means you won't, uh, when you do slip, you won't wallow in despair. You won't stay there. You won't allow it to occupy your mind to the point where you can't function the way God wants you to function or the people around you need for you to function. When you do slip, you won't stay in that fallen position. You'll get up. God is anxious to forgive you as we struggle to live for Him in this life. God wants you to put these sins behind us. He is anxious to help you through the problems that you might have to face. He wants us to win. The Apostle John put it in these inspired words in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Now that word cleanseth us there, the E-T-H ending on the word, end of the word cleanseth us, gives us an insight into the tense of the word in the original language. This is one of the great advantages of using the King James Version of the Bible, is it often helps us understand what the original language was trying to get across. Here it means that we not only get cleansed from the blood of Christ, but it keeps on cleansing us. It's always a progressive thing. As long as we will walk in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ will keep on cleansing us all the time that we're walking in that light. Two verses later in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, he says, But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friends, my point is this. If you have made a decision to walk in the light of God, to walk in the path that Jesus Christ has put before us on this earth, you are in a position of having your sins cleansed by what Jesus Christ did, and it keeps on cleansing you as long as you're walking in that light. That makes you perfect. That makes you perfect because of what Jesus has done. It makes you perfect because of the attitude 
that God has about you because you have determined to be diligent in your observance of the New Testament commandments. Put you in a special place. You need to have confidence that, or be filled with confidence that you've made that decision. This is what we need to think of, brethren. When we look up at the sky, we need to write with our finger in the clouds, I can. What's this day going to bring? It doesn't matter. I'm a saved person because of my obedience. Jesus Christ keeps on cleansing me of my sins. I'm going to be as diligent as I possibly can be in serving God. And whatever problems come my way, I can win. I will win. I will not allow the things of this world to conquer me. I simply won't let it happen. Jesus did not expect us to live sinless lives. He knew what it takes to get through this world. He also did not expect us to get through this life on our own. And that's the blessing that we have as Christians. We know we can't get through this life on our own. God didn't expect us to get through this life on our own. But we are in partnership with God for our salvation. Brethren, that should give you confidence. God is in partnership with you for your salvation. God wants you to get to heaven. God has set everything up for you to get there, and He is your partner to get you from this low land of sin and sorrow to that blessing that He has prepared for us in the heaven. He is your partner to help you get there. Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, According as His divine power hath given to us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through a knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. God has given us everything that we need to get from here to there. And He wants us to get there. He is our partner in getting our souls to heaven. The I can attitude of getting through the problems of today, the problems of tomorrow, whatever they might be, I can because of what God has done for me. God's not out to get us. You know, some people have that attitude. And some people that don't express that attitude have it in the back of their mind. God's just out to get us. God doesn't want us to have what we expect God would want us to have. That's not the way we need to approach this. God is there to help us. He's in partnership with you to get your soul to heaven. God is our partner. He is for us. He wants us to win the battle. Friends, we've all got battles to fight, don't we? We've all got our own battles to fight, whatever they might be. But we've got battles to fight, and God is there to help us win the battles, fight the battles, overcome the battles, and end up with our soul in that safe place that He has prepared for us. Interestingly, in Acts chapter 26 and verse 22, the Apostle Paul, who had already been incarcerated for two years in the city of Caesarea, had a chance to stand before King Agrippa 
And the Scriptures tell us that King Agrippa was a man that was an expert in the knowledge of the Jewish ways of life. As Paul had a chance to stand before King Agrippa and relate to this king all of the things that happened to him through his conversion from Judaism to Christianity and all of the problems that he had suffered, and they were many, Paul said this to King Agrippa, Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day. When we view what the Apostle Paul went through, the suffering, the, the, the stonings, the beatings, the incarceration, the imprisonment, all of the things that he endured, and he tells King Agrippa, the reason I'm standing before you today and doing as well as I am doing is because God helped me. And dear friends, at the end of the day, when you're able to pillow your head, having been victorious over all the things that have tried to come into your life during that day, you can say with Paul, I lay myself down to rest on this pillow because God helped me. What a blessing it is to know that. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 14 and 4 and verse 6, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. There is a place we can go to get help, and that's to God. Notice Paul said, obtain help from God. The Hebrew writer says, finding grace to help in the time of need. When we need help, let us make sure that we turn to the right source, the great God of heaven. Having confidence because God is for you. Something that should impress us. Something that should cause us to leave this building this morning with a lifted attitude. Because we have the confidence the knowing that God is for us. God is with us. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 31, What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? And you already know the answer. Doesn't matter. Bring it on. I've got God for me. God wants to help me. And God is more powerful than anything this world can bring. He wants us to succeed, not to fail. He wants us to succeed. He wants us to be victorious, not defeated. And that should give you confidence, brethren, to go out into this world. And I'm talking about spiritual confidence right now. There's a lot of ways we can have confidence. A lot of ways we should have confidence. But we also need to build our spiritual confidence. And that means that you must learn to believe in you. If you are diligent in serving God, if you've made the decision to be obedient to the teachings of the New Testament and started down the path that the New Testament says you're supposed to be on, you need to be a person that believes in you. You've already made the best decision you could ever make. You've chosen to follow God. You've chosen to follow the teachings of Jesus Christ. 
in order to obtain salvation, why wouldn't you believe in you? That's how intelligent you are. That's how uh, on top of things you are. You learned the truth and you said, yes, that's the right way to go. That means that you're a person that's responsible, that you have intelligence and you're already on the right path. Believe in yourselves. Believe in yourselves. A mistake too often made is that we have an inappropriate standard for self-examination. And this is going to apply to every one of us. But sometimes we don't properly measure ourselves in order to determine if we're doing something right. That's why I had read in our hearing 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12, because we often don't have the proper standard. Now, notice what Paul says to the people at Corinth. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measure themselves by themselves to compare themselves among themselves are not wise. We can't help comparing ourselves with other people. And we need to stop. We need to stop. Think of this. Christians compare themselves to other Christians. Preachers compare themselves to other preachers. Elders compare themselves to other elders. Elderships compare themselves to other elderships. Women compare themselves to other women on a dozen different levels. You know it. It's the worst possible thing you could do is try to compare yourself to someone else to see if you're doing okay. The standard that we have, brethren, is the standard of Jesus Christ as set forth in the pages of the New Testament. Why would we ever want to compare ourselves to another fallible person when we have the perfect standard to go by anyway? Brethren, don't compare yourselves with someone else to see if you're doing okay. Compare yourself to the teachings of the New Testament and make whatever adjustments need to be made based on the New Testament. Never compare yourselves to another person to judge yourself. I want you to notice what Paul says here. Comparing yourselves amongst yourselves, figuring out if you're doing any good based on what someone else is doing. Notice the last two words. You're not wise doing this. Don't allow the world to dictate what you're supposed to be. Let the New Testament dictate what you're supposed to be. Adjust your life compared to the proper standard, not some human standard. But let us not compare ourselves and measure ourselves by ourselves because we're just not wise when we do so. In relationship to the lesson this morning, when you compare yourselves to someone else, when you measure yourself by someone else, that's when your confidence crumbles and you lose your direction in Christ. Don't let it happen to you. Don't compare yourself to someone else. Compare yourself to the teachings of the New Testament and make the necessary adjustments in that fashion. The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, For I am persuaded 
that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what is going to be able to separate us? Not a thing. What else could you put in that list? Oh, well, you might be able to slip in here comparing myself to someone else, measuring myself by someone else. But if we eliminate that problem, nothing is going to be able to separate us from the love of God. We're going to have confidence moving forward in this life. Paul also said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 that there has no temptation taken you but such is common among men. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will te- with, with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may, may be able to bear it. God is going to give you a way to get out from under the problems that you're going to have to face. Just have faith in Him and confidence in yourself and you will be victorious. Second Timothy chapter 4, and verse 8, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me in that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. The Apostle Paul said, I see a crown out there because of the life that I've lived. And he tells us, hey, you've got a crown out there too. Have confidence that your direction, according to the Scriptures, has laid up for you a crown of righteousness. Your reward simply for holding on to what you know God wants you to do. Jude said it this way, For unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present your uh, uh, faultless, present you faultless before his presence of his glory with exceeding joy. You're not going to have any problems if you maintain your relationship. Confidence is something you create within yourself by believing in who you are. Because of what you have done, if you're a member of the body of Christ, because of what you have done, you have shown intelligence. Have confidence in yourself. Believe in you and you will be able to move forward. Confidence is like a muscle. The more you use it, the stronger it gets. All of us understand that principle. We, we do things to build up our, our muscles, our physical strength, But if you lack confidence, exercise confidence, and your confidence will get stronger, you will be a more confident person if you exercise your confidence. Find that lion. Find that lion in your life. And allow that lion to shine forth daily in your life so that you can be the kind of person that God wants you to be. If you need to respond to Jesus' invitation to get your life right, or to show the confidence that you have in the New Testament by willing, by being willing to obey it in order to have your sins washed away in baptism. We invite you to come as together we stand and sing.